All right, so um, so this is the beginning of a series called Hey Mom and Dad, Why Do I Have to Go to Church? Um, <laughs> I'd be curious to, well, might be <laughs> vulnerability hour here, but uh, out of curiosity, like, Why'd you come? Anybody want to anybody wanna say why you came? So, yes? So we can answer the question. <laughs> Good answer, yeah. Sure, we hear it all the time from kids, or from parents, that you know, like they really struggle to get their kids to come to church. And I'll just be honest, I was uh, kind of, I actually liked church as a kid. Um, I, I really liked Sunday school. I had, a, had good friends, and they had Krispy Kreme, and it was, wow. it was great. Um, but I would ask this question all the time. I'd be like, why do we have to go to church every Sunday? Like, why do we have to go to church every Sunday? And, uh, and you know, I'm sure it was, even as a kid who was kind of compliant, who actually kind of wanted to be there, I still would ask the question. And I'm sure, I'm sure my parents and, and you as a parent hear it as resistance or hear it as accusation of, you know, they're resisting you. And so, um, and so the thing I would say just to start off is that it's, not, it's really an opportunity a great opportunity because um, your child is going to have to answer that question for themselves when they leave your house, whenever that is, whether, whether that's when they're 19 or whether that's when they're 25. Like they're going to, when they move out and they go to live independently, they, they will be faced with the question on Sunday morning, why should I go to church? And so when they're asking you that question, even though it may sound like resistance, um, they're actually giving you an opportunity to, uh, to build um, to build that kind of Christian formation, to, to enable them to have an answer for themselves when they face it as an adult. And so, um, so it's, it's something that's meant to be encouraging. So this series is going to be two weeks. This week, uh, I'm going to focus on um, why do we go to church, and I'm going to talk about worship as a lifestyle, worship as a way of life. And, um, and so, you know, I'll say this. Here's the answer that my dad would give me, and it's going to sound kind of funny. Uh, I grew up Southern Baptist, uh, but but uh, but I, we're, I'll kind of come back to it and, and find out it's actually a pretty good reason. My dad, we would say this all the time. Same answer would be, God gives us seven days of the week. I think we can give him one morning. <laughs> all right, well, that's all we're asking for is one morning. In reality, God gives us everything more than seven days a week. We give him seven days a week. We'll talk about that. But but still, it was a it was a. Um, it was a valid answer, you know. Basically, like we we do owe some response to you know, to what God has given us. We He is worthy of some kind of response, some kind of action on our behalf. So, so anyhow, so one of the things, um, you know, some some answers that you may you know, sorry, as we're talking about, so one of the things I want you to be thinking about is we want to be able to offer them a meaningful answer. Um, you know, you can. Uh, you know, to say, like, we go to church because that's what we do. Or we go to church because we live in Birmingham. That's what everyone does. <laughs> or, or, you know, we go, to church, we go to church because that's at least, you know, an hour and a half of, of Sunday where I don't have to be managing you. No. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and a valid answer is it's one of the Ten Commandments. I mean, commandment number four is uh, keep a sa- uh, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And so, like, participating in corporate worship weekly is a, is a biblical mandate. And that's a valid answer to give to your child. If you don't come to church very often, you just heard me say that, I don't want you to feel condemned. Um, and, and another thing, too, is you can be like, well, what about when I'm on vacation? Well, you know, it could be that your family listens to a service online, or it could be you get out the prayer book and you just 
do uh, you know do go through a, a, a liturgy or a, a morning prayer or whatever it may be, or you just sit around and you read the Bible together and you pray together, and that's corporate worship when you're at the beach or at the lake. Um, but that's you know that's a valid answer to give to your kids. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna shoot for a little more than that. Um, all right, so I think so today. Here's the uh, here's kind of the answer. Sorry, <laughs> grab show that one. You could say that. Go to church or the devil will get you. Yeah, everyone's probably seen that on I-65 coming back from the beach. Um, but here's the kind of here's the answer. And by the way, this class, I understand that the point of this is for you to be able to deliver a meaningful and clear response to your child to this question. And so this this class at times is going to be up here. And you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to quote James Torrance uh, to my child. That's really going to be effective. You know, my three-year-old is not really going to dig that. But we're going to, we're, we will kind of go high, but we will break it down to a basic level so that your three-year-old or your 10-year-old or your 16-year-old can understand it. We'll, we'll talk about how to explain it. But here's the answer for today. God puts you on the earth to worship and glorify God. We will be most satisfied and content when our life is a life of worship. Church parenthetically, as an intensified version of what we are meant to do each week helps us to live into that. So one of the things we're really going to talk about is getting a clear, uh, a clear definition of what worship is. Uh, because a lot of times when you hear the word worship, what do you just immediately think about? Church. Church, like going to church on Sunday and singing songs, right? And I can remember people being like, oh, when you're in heaven, you will worship Christ forever. I'll be like, oh my gosh, it's going to be Sunday morning at the First Baptist Church of Birmingham for the rest for eternity. Like, send me to hell. <laughs> and and so and so we need to understand worship, a more accurate and more broad version of what worship is. You know, worship on on Sunday we do go to corporate worship. So that is a gathering of God's people together. Um, and uh, you know, we do sing praises, we do pray, we do hear God's word. Um, we do take the sacraments. We do serve the Lord in different ways. So it's a, it's a kind of intensified version of worship, but worship is, has a much broader definition as we see in the Bible, particularly when we see the progression from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So um, the first thing that we're going, to, we're going to look at is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And this, uh, this is a, you know, Romans chapter, one verse, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 is really one of the, like, bring it home signature verses of the whole Bible. Because the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters are focused on the basics of, uh, of Christian salvation, you would say. Um, part of it focuses on uh, what you call justification, which justification is how it is that a, a person who is sinful is reconciled with a holy God. So that's what, that's kind of, it's debatable, but that, that's what's going on, you know, through the, say, first six chapters of Romans. Then you have talk about what you call sanctification. Sanctification is how a person becomes more like Christ in their life. And there are other nuances in there, questions about, questions about you know, salvation for the Israelites versus Christians and things of that nature. But you know, basically, you know, basic Christianity is Romans 1 through 11. It's the basic gospel, basic good news of Christianity. So Romans 12 is this transition. And it's the, the transition to answering the question, okay, now that I've been made right with God and now that God is transforming me into a person like Christ, that process has begun, now what? Like, how do I live my life? And so that therefore at the beginning of Romans 12 signifies we're making a transition, we're making a conclusion. And so the first, uh, the first thing that Paul says 
in response to the gospel is, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Okay, and so he is saying that kind of an overarching response to the gospel, uh, to what Jesus has done in his life, death and resurrection, is worship. Okay, and so what we're going to see in this is this is not just going to church on Sunday. This is uh, this is a, a way, an overarching definition for all of life. And so a couple of points to be made here. First off, he says in view of God's mercy. So he is saying in response to the gospel, like what drives a life of worship is remembering what Jesus Christ has done, how Christ has rescued us um, from sin and brought us in to uh, into oneness with God. Uh, reconciled us to God. And so the gospel is what drives worship. Secondly, we see he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So when he says bodies, uh, that does not mean like just your physical body. Like when we're in, you know, in this context in Greek, this means the entirety of your life. This means mind, heart, soul, everything. Um, everything is offered not just your physical body. And, and then it says, as a living sacrifice, uh, you know, when we think about a sacrifice from the Old Testament, what do, you, what do you think about? What is kind of a necessary part of a sacrifice? What's that? Killing. Yeah, like death. Something is killed in a sacrifice. Something is given up. But instead, he's, he's um, describing it as a living sacrifice. So your life, your whole life, the, the way you live, everything is... is a sacrifice to God. It is something that is offered to God for his glory um, and for his praise. And so, you know, and you see he uses this terminology, holy and pleasing to God. That's language, if you're a Jewish reader, which a a large portion of the the readership of this letter to the the church at Rome would have been Jewish, that language would have, uh, they would have immediately associated with a a sacrifice that was given to God in the temple. In Leviticus chapter 1, when... uh, when the writer talks about uh, the quality of a sacrifice, they say it's one that is, that is uh, without blemish, one that is pleasing, um, one that is perfect and holy. And so, you, so basically, in essence, he's saying like, your life, you have been made into a perfect, you have been made flawless before God because of the blood of Christ, because of God's mercy. He's forgiven all of your sins. So you can be offered to God as one who is completely pure in God's eyes. And, um, and on top of that, too, the, the word sacrifice, when you look, read the book of Leviticus, there, there are like five main different kinds of sacrifices. Well, one of those types of sacrifices is a burnt offering. And, and this, the, the, the Greek would have pointed towards a burnt offering kind of sacrifice. And a burnt offering was when you wanted to declare to God that you were completely and totally committed to him. And so you would have uh, brought a sacrifice and they would burn the entire sacrifice. With other sacrifices, they might kind of preserve parts of it, cut out parts of it, eat parts of it. Not a burnt sacrifice. The, the, the sacrifice was completely given over to God. And so Paul is making this parallel between um, burnt, a, burnt, um, a burnt offering in the Old Testament and the way we offer our life to God in response to his mercy, the, like offering everything to him. And so, um, by the way, we're going we're getting, to we're getting get practical in a second, I promise. Um, not going to stay up here too long. Okay, so holy and pleasing God, this is your true and proper worship. Okay, so the key thing there is that 
you know, he is showing that worship is not just confined to Sunday morning. It's not just confined to, um, to singing or to praying or to offering your tithes and offerings, you know, to church. It, it, is, it is a lifestyle. That's how he's defining worship. And so, um, and so some of the points I would, I would make on this, if I can get to my notes. Uh, the first is, I've already said, worship's not reduced to singing and praying on Sunday morning. Worship is a lifestyle. So that, that's, that's one thing to communicate to your child is, um, well, sorry, let me just say this. Um, sorry, I'm trying to reorder my thoughts here. I would say this. First thing, first thing I would say that you can communicate to your child um, is this part about in view of God's mercy. Okay? Uh, in America, um, there's, what you, there's this terminology they call consumer Christianity. And it's kind of this idea that, you know, I'm going to church in the same way that I go to the CVS or I go to the grocery store <clears throat> or the same way I go to a restaurant. Like, I'm showing up and I am uh, expected, I'm expecting to be served. I'm, I'm expecting to be taken care of. Um, I'm expected to be given something. Um, and a lot of churches really kind of, uh, and by the way, that there's, part of that is true. I mean, we are. We need something. Like, we need, we need to hear the word. Like, we need to hear the gospel. We need the sacraments. We need community. We need to be prayed for. So I don't, don't hear me wrong. Um, that's Oscar's actually going to focus on that more next week in this, in this same class. Um, but the danger is that we get this idea of church is all about me. Church is all about me and my needs and, and you know, come on, come on, in the same way I expect a, a, a business to serve me um, as a consumer. And you see this particularly, this is particularly bad with uh, 20-somethings. I was this way. I would, you know, kind of church up. I would never do any, I would never, never serve in any way at the church. I was always kind of evaluating, like, how it was affecting me. And, and there was not any consideration that I was really kind of going because of what Christ had done for me. So going back to what my dad used to say, there actually was some value. In, there really, actually, there was a ton of value in what my dad used to say. God gives us seven days a week. We can give him, you know, one morning. Um, but basically communicating, like, you can say, look, church is, church is not all about us. It is partially about us because we need God's grace and we need community. Um, but it's, it's about God, too. It's mainly about God. Like, God has given his son for you and for me. He, every breath we breathe is a product of God's mercy. Everything that we have, all of our material goods, everything, that is a, that is a blessing from the Lord. Uh, and, and the fact that we have a hope of heaven, that we can have a relationship with God, like, that is all because of his, the sacrifices he has made for us. So one thing I would just kind of instill in your child is we're not just going for us. We're going in response into what God has done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so I think that's valued, number one, because it's biblical. It's just, it's just accurate. But also, too, um, you're sharing the gospel with your child. It's an opportunity every week or every time they ask the question to remind your child of, of um, the person of Jesus and, and the life, the, the sacrifice of Jesus in a way that kind of uh, engenders gratitude and loyalty and a desire to serve and worship God. And so that's the first thing I would say is uh, dying to the kind of, uh, the first thing to communicate is it's not just about us, it's about God too. Uh, and this, this you know, quote from When I Survey the Wonders Cross, or the whole realm of nature mind that were a present far too small Love so amazing, so divine, 
demands my soul, my life, my all. And so just kind of basically what is a proper response um, to what Christ has done. And then um, the second thing too is, and I'm going to try to reiterate this and develop this more later in the class, but to say like to your child, like you were put on earth to worship God. And I'm going to talk more specifically about what that means. But you were put on earth to worship God, and that's meant to flow out of your whole week. And church is a place where it's kind of like an intensive, amplified version of that, of what we're supposed to live like all week. We're supposed to pray to God. We're supposed to serve God. We're supposed to, um, to praise the Lord. We're supposed to enjoy relationship with Him. And like, it's hard for us as sinners to, to live in that. You know, it's very hard when you're waking up and you have a million things to do. And uh, let's think from the, from the mindset of a child. They wake up. They're getting ready fast for school. They're making sure they have their baseball bag or they have their homework done. They get to school. They have seven or eight periods of class a day if they're in junior high and high school. Uh, you know, they might have sports and all this kind of stuff. It's very hard for, especially, and they don't have much perspective, right, because they're young. They don't have a lot of life experience. It's hard for them to, rem- to like, actually remember, hey, I, like, this day, Wednesday, middle of the week, the primary thing that God put me here for was to worship him. And so church is a way, the reason God mandates it as a weekly thing is he knows how much we need to remember. We need to remember the gospel. We need to remember our need for grace. But we also need to remember like our purpose. And the more we live into our purpose, the more satisfying our life is going to be. Um, the more connected we're going to be to God, um, the more meaning and purpose we're going to see in our life. And so, um, so we need that tangible, intensive reminder on Sunday uh, to help us from Sunday through Saturday. Um, cool. All right, so next thing here, um, definition of worship. Uh, getting a little deeper into our definition, this is going to help us kind of fan out and develop what worship is. By the way, any questions so far? Am I, is this, is it, uh, I, I've got friends in the back. Am I, am I being too abstract or is this clear? You bring it home, we're okay? All right, okay, good. Thank you. How, Lida, what do you think? Okay, thank you. Okay, good. All right, so next thing, definition of worship. There's a book called Worship Community and the Triune God of Grace. And um, it is about 110 pages. It's one of the best books I've ever read. It's pretty difficult, um, but it, is, it really revolutionized my understanding of, of worship in general. Uh, it's by a fellow named James Torrance. But here's how, right off the bat, he defines worship. Uh, this is going to get a little, this is a little heady, a little theological, but he says, Christian worship is our participation through the Spirit in the Son's communion with the Father. Now, his concern in this book is that we don't think about the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in terms of worship. That's one of his concerns. He's, it's a critique of modern worship. So anyhow, so sorry, participation through the Spirit in the Son's communion with the Father. In his, in his the Son's, or sorry, sorry, the Father's, in his vicarious life of worship and intercession. It is our response to our Father for all he has done for us in Christ. It is our self-offering in body, mind, and spirit. In response to the one true offering made for in Christ, our response of gratitude to God's grace, our sharing by grace in the heavenly intercession of Christ. Therefore, anything we say about worship must be said in light of him who it is a res- of him whom it is a response. All right, so basically to kind of bring that down into more clear language, what he, Torrance would say, Christian worship 
is when, when a person be, like, becomes a believer, when a person becomes a believer, they become one with God. Uh, the, you know, the, a term for that is union with Christ. And so it's obviously we're not members of the Trinity, but the kind of oneness, the kind of communion that is shared by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, we have a similar relationship with God to what's going on with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, again, I'm not, I'm, not equate, I'm not saying I am now the Son or I am now the Father, but there is that similar kind of deep sense of connectionness and oneness. We're one with God. And so, um, and so what he is saying is Christian worship is participation in the life of the Trinity. And so the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they are people. Like, you know, it's one God, but they're separate people. And they are relating to one another. Like, in the same way that you have a relationship, you know, with a spouse or with a friend, you know, and there are different dynamics to that interaction, like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they relate to one another. And so what he is saying is that Christian worship is basically us relating to God in the same way that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit relate to one another. And the scriptural, um, the scriptural, um, and, and we'll look at what, what's going on with that in a second, but the scriptural basis for this primarily is he's pulling from Hebrews. So Hebrews is a book, uh, we don't know the author, but it's written to Jewish Christians. And he's trying to help Jewish Christians understand the transition from temple worship, which in the Old Testament, that's, you know, that's where sacrifices were brought, that's where people came to pray, to give honor to God, and, and, and the transition now to the New Testament church. Because you know, a large number, if not the majority, of the early converts to Christianity were Jewish. And this was mind-boggling, you know, because this, this, this kind of system of worship, of temple worship, had been so deeply ingrained in them you know, for over a thousand years. And so now it's like, well, wait a minute. I've done this my whole life. What do I do now? And he's trying to explain the transition. And so one of the primary, um, like, and for example, um, uh, let's see here. Oh, blew that one. Um, there we go. Uh, no one can read that anyhow. Um, one of the primary, it's like, so ex- for example, in the Old Testament, the writer says, you used to every year uh, on the Day of Atonement, you'd bring up, there'd be a sacrifice made for forgiveness of your sins, right? And he says, well, Jesus was an ultimate sacrifice. He was a one-time sacrifice for all the sins um, of the world. And so he's showing you don't have to go to the temple you know, every year for the Day of Atonement, for your sins to be forgiven. Jesus has been sacrificed once and for all. You don't have to do that anymore. Another transition that he makes is the transition from the high priest to what we have now. So in, uh, in the Old Testament, there was a high priest, and that high priest um, would go into the Holy of Holies, which was the very, you know, thought it was kind of the very presence of God in the temple, and would, you know, make intercessions for all of the people. He was kind of the representative for all of God's people. And, you know, and the place where he would kind of make that intercession was, uh, was in the Holy of Holies. I'm sorry, I'm kind of going, uh, I put my house on the market this weekend, so my mind's not as crisp as it normally is. But I'm trying to remember how often, I think that he would only go into the Holy of Holies once a year. A one time, thank you. If Steve Tillman's not in his head, then it's true. It's true. <laughs> I feel good. Um, 
He'd go into the Holy of Holies once a year. Um, he would have a rope tied around his ankle in case he was sinful, had gone in there unclean and died. Because if anybody went in to get him, they would die too. So they, and so they could pull him out. And, uh, and anyhow, this was a one-time thing. Well, the transition that the writer of Hebrews is talking about is how now Jesus is the high priest. And Jesus is not in a holy of holies. He's in the actual full presence of God in heaven. And he doesn't just go in there once a year. He is constantly, permanently, all the time, making intercessions for all of his people. And so he's kind of showing this, uh, he's kind of showing this transition. And so what Torrance is saying is, um, you know, if we want to understand as Christians more uh, in a more detailed way what worship means and what it looks like for us, um, then we should look at what Jesus is doing in, uh, in heaven on our behalf. And Jesus had three, three, kind of three offices. They call it the three offices of Jesus. He was a prophet, he was a priest, and he was a king. Those were the three offices in the Old Testament, and Jesus, you know, he completes all of them as one person. Um, and we, you know, we know how he's, uh, we know how he was a prophet. We know how he was a king. Was well, as, as a priest, he is now the one who is leading his church in worship all the time. Um, he is, he is always praising God the Father. He is always, um, he is always praying and interceding for the sins of people, which is a very comforting thing to think about. Like, you know, Christ is always praying for you, and whenever you pray to God. Um, Jesus is kind of the one receiving your prayers and cleaning them up before the Father. That's, that's magnificent. And then what Torrance would say is, you know, the Holy Spirit, uh, through the Holy Spirit, we are kind of brought into this place of worship in heaven right now. I know it's kind of mystical, mysterious, hyper-spiritual. Um, but, the, you know, and so the Holy Spirit gives us the grace to participate with Jesus in the prayers and the praise to God the Father. I know if you have a four-year-old right now, you're like, please, give me something, pal, because this ain't going to happen. <laughs> um, we're going to get there. And so, um, and so anyhow, to break this down more concretely and practically, I'm just going to skip that. Uh, there. Bottom line, okay, great. Um, is, you know, what is going on what, what is Jesus doing up, up in heaven right now as the high priest, as the person who is leading us in worship? Well, the first thing he's doing is he is praying. Um, he, is, um, you know, he is praying. He is praying for forgiveness of our sins. He's praying for our needs. Um, he's praying for, you know, all the different kinds we can imagine, all the different kind of prayers we can imagine. Jesus is doing that constantly in heaven. So part of us leading a life of worship is leading a life of prayer. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that kind of changes as you kind of deepen in your relationship with God. I, I think when I was in high school, it kind of looked like before I went to bed, I would say a few prayers, and, and then that was kind of it. Um, and, I, and before I took a test, of course, <laughs> I would pray. <laughs> I'm crying out loud. Um, what, what's more life and death than your biology test? Um, but, um, but I found as I kind of grow, I've kind of gotten older, that it tends to be more a part of my day. It's, uh, I, I do pray in the morning, I do pray before I go to sleep, but I tend to pray a lot in the car. Um, that's like one of the only places you can get quiet when you're an adult with children, is in the car and you can just turn off the radio and, um, and you know, pray during my day, or I find myself just far more dependent on God through prayer. Um, but anytime, anytime I'm gonna meet with anyone, I'm always asked the Lord for wisdom and for help. 
um, especially if you know when you meet with teenagers, you just never know what they're going to say, and you just really, um, you really need. You don't know if they're going to say like, "Hey, I have a, you know, I have a drug problem," or if they're going to say, "You know, I've, I know I come around church, but I'm actually an atheist," or you just never know what's going to come up in those kind of conversations. And so I really, I need, I need the Lord, I need to pray. So, so basically, what we're, you know, a life of worship, not just a Sunday of worship, but you know, seven days a week, um, is a, a, a life where we are. Um, growing in prayer. We're, we're praying to the Lord more and more, um, formally and informally. Um, and by the way, I'm giving you these because you can kind of explain to your children like what it, you know, when you say like, you know, you were born to worship God and this is what that looks like. Um, it looks like, it looks like, you know, Monday through Sunday. Um, part of it is, is prayer. And so, um, and so coming to church, when we're in, we're in like in Sunday worship, we do a lot of praying, and um, you know that's you know that we have the kind of responsive prayers that we do. We have the prayers of the people. We have all of that, and so what's happening on Sunday is meant to be an encouragement, a model, and a reflection of what we'll hope will grow into the rest of the week. Um, secondly, um, praise. You know, when we come to church on Sunday, we sing songs. You know, we praise the Lord, um, and so. That is something we're meant to do, you know, like throughout the week. Uh, you know, it's, I, you know, I think one, one of the, I find if, if I do this in my prayer life, it's very much like kind of enhances my prayer life. If I will start out praising God and just like, just remembering the attributes of God, what he's like, Lord, I praise you that you're holy. I praise you that, you know, you're just, I praise you that you're perfect, that you're brilliant, that you're wise. I praise you, God, that you're kind, that you're generous, that you're merciful, that you're a forgiver. You know, just kind of remembering who God is and just starting prayer like that, just, I don't know, it, it, it will, it, it, there's something joy-inducing about that, and it's because we're living into what we're meant to do. And so um, that could be, you know, that could be at the dinner table, like when you say the blessing, that could be a, that could be a way that, you know, every now and then that you kind of open your blessing is just by praising the Lord. Um, and, uh, yeah, anyhow, or, you know, I, sometimes I like to listen to, I don't like Christian radio. I make fun of my wife for listening to 93.7, which is like really, really cheesy Christian radio. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but sometimes I do like to listen to good praise music. Notice the contrast. No, just kidding. Um, um, uh, you know, in the car or whatever, around the house. But anyhow, so, so what we're doing when we praise the Lord on Sunday morning and we're in corporate worship uh, in terms of singing songs and whatnot uh, is meant to be a reflection of kind of how we're how a part of our life as we live throughout our week. All right, third, the Father and the Son is service. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are serving one another in different ways. Um, there is this term called like the economic trinity, and it talks about the different things that each member of the trinity does, which, you know, they're all doing it together, so it's kind of hard to splice that. But, um, but you know, an example would be, uh, example would be that, uh, you know, God the Father was the architect of creation and Jesus Christ was the agent. He's the one who actually created the world. And so that would just be an example of how they have different functions. Well, um, the way that they are serving one another, uh, we are meant to serve him too. So, uh, so basically serving other people, um, serving other people, uh, you know, helping mom and dad with the dishes or taking out the garbage or, uh, you know, going to visit grandma at the nursing home, like those are those are ways that we serve God, and that is an act of worship. 
That is an act of worship. And then finally, the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit are enjoying each other in relationship all the time. Uh, you know, the, the Trinity, God was completely content before he created man. He did, you know, they, the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are equally enamored with one another. And um, there is a, a blissful love within that relationship. And so in the same way that they enjoy each other in relationship, we're, we're meant to enjoy relationship with God. Um, and so I would say, too, I think that when we enjoy blessings that the Lord has given us, uh, if that means that like, I really enjoy swimming, and if I am, uh, if I am uh, you know, when I, if I get to go for a swim and have a good workout, I, uh, it is a worshipful act if I recognize this is something that the Lord has given me and I'm grateful for it. And I just really enjoy it. Um, and so, so that's not enjoying relationship with God, but also enjoying the life that God has given us. So that is how, you know, how it is, how I would practically define it. These are things that are meant to, and oh, and sorry, and sorry, we serve the Lord in the church. We serve him through tithing and offering. Sometimes you serve him through acolyting or through, you know, teaching children, Sunday school, whatever it is, um, getting, you know, helping out in the kitchen. But that's, a, that's an act of worship. And so, again, meant to extend the whole week, enjoying relationship, anyhow, getting the point. All right, so conclusive points. I, and I, and I, think, I think those, you know, saying to your child, you were, you were put on this earth to worship God and you're going to enjoy your life more. The, the more you live into that, the more you're going to enjoy your life. The more satisfied your soul is going to be. Uh, the more meaningful your life is going to be, the more joy and hope and peace you're going to have. I think that is something that um, an elementary school kid can kind of get. I think the elementary school version of that is, um, is like you were put on the earth to worship God, and the more we worship God, the more satisfying it's going to be in our heart. Um, they may not perfectly get that, but that's a, that is a, you know, that's palatable for them. They can, they can kind of remember that. Uh, a second point is um, going to church helps us to remember that and it helps us to practice that. It helps us to worship God throughout all the week. And so, you know, if, if it's what God put us on the earth to do, then it's probably the most important thing in our life. And so, you know, it makes sense that we would dedicate a morning uh, you know, Mary Matthews, that we dedicate a morning to, um, you know, to help us, um, help us cultivate the number, that's not the word I would use, but to help us practice or learn better, uh, you know, the number one thing we were meant to do. And finally, um, let's see. Oh, sorry, got the bottom lines. Anyhow, I've got that point. I think the last two things I would say is this, and these are the good news things. Number one is, uh, you know, this obviously we were sinners and we fail miserably. Uh, we fail miserably in, in this, you know. I mean, we, none of us are particularly effective um, at living a life of worship. And so, you know, that going back to Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, like, first off, the, the forgiveness of God is there in our failure and inadequacy to do this. And so that's something to you know, comfort our heart. And secondly, the grace of God is there to help us to grow in this as well. And so living a life of worship is nothing we can do without the grace of God. Us are going to focus on that more next week. And then another thing too is, and, and to put it in positive terms, and it's honest, it's not, it's not being a salesperson, we're not selling used cars, not that there's anything wrong with that, but, um, but uh, is that 
you know, we really do believe that you're going to be most satisfied in your life if you live a life of worship. Um, and, you know, and so we're going to go to church because, not just because, like, we, not just because God is due praise, that God is due our worship, but also because, like, we think there's great benefit for you. We think there's great benefit for you in your life. And so, um, so anyhow, I, uh, you know, I, I, I just one little final note for you, some Q&A. You know, we, um, the church, this, this church, this congregation, is especially the clergy and especially the music directors, Fred and Charles, um, but I would say Andrew in particular has, is thinking about this all the time. Like, you know, Torrance says that worship is participation in the life of the Trinity. So that suggests that there's some level of engagement, you know? And, you know, you can go to a church where you're kind of like, this is in no way helping me. This is not in any way, or there are aspects of our church where you're like, this is in no way helping me to live a life of worship. Uh, I'm, not hearing, I'm not hearing about God's grace. We're, we're not singing. We're not, I don't feel engaged in worship. They, are, they work really hard. They are currently working really hard to make w- corporate worship more engaging for everyone. That's why the new leaflet, you know, where it has the whole service on one sheet of paper, for people like me who didn't grow up Episcopalian who are like flipping through books more than they are, you know, I, I could never, I can, with the books, I can never focus on prayer. I'm just like trying to find page 787. <laughs> or, you know, I, that's just that's just me, and I'm I'm strong like ox, smart like tractor, so it, I'm a little remedial, but um but anyhow they are tr- trying, and also too you may have noticed in the last I don't know year how the, maybe some of the songs are a little more accessible, mm-hmm. you know some more of the kind of old hymns you might be more familiar with. That's an intentional effort to make worship more engaging, so that it's more it can be more participatory. So I know that. Um, uh, and, they, and they have other ideas and things they're working on too. So I know you're kind of like, well, geez, Cameron, that's all great, but uh, I, you know, help me out here. They really are trying to help you out. So, yes. Thank you. When you're asked the question, why do we have to go to church? Mm-hmm. Start by saying, what's important to you? Ask, ask your huh. child the question, what's important to you? And you don't know what the answer is going to be. They may, they may say God. Yeah, right. You know, let that be the starting point. And from there, maybe say, well, what's important to me is all the things that you listed. Yeah, that's really good. Yes? Can I answer your thought? Sure. Um, I was thinking about, I was answering this to my child who's about to be two. Yeah. I thought was the first place I'd probably try to go is to reframe it to say, why do we get to go to church? Oh. And the next step that that immediately takes us is you're either going out of a sense of gratitude or a sense of guilt. Yeah, there you go. Great. Here is all the children are going immediately over on being guilty into something. Yeah, right. Yeah. I wondered if in your experience with dealing with all the children, if you had any uh, tips about the pitfalls of trying not to guilt your kids while trying to show them gratitude. Yeah, I think that's that's really good. Well, um. I think that um, I think that if a child can detect that um, that a parent wants them to go to church out of the parent's self-interest, uh, like we're going to nine o'clock church because we're going to nine o'clock church, well, we're going to nine o'clock church so you can get on the golf course. <laughs> I think I'll say it's a lot of teenagers. They um, they're just exhausted. They're really really tired, and so um, I think if you can kind of throw a kid a bone and say like, hey, look. To, you know, y'all are really tired. Let's just go to five o'clock service. 
um, tonight or let's just go to the 11 o'clock service and do Sunday school or whatever it may be. Um, I think if a parent can see that you are genuinely kind of uh, concerned, I think that helps. I think that, um, I think like you, I think you honestly said it very well in the sense of um, we, just uh, say like, I, I personally would say like, I, I really like to go to church. Even when I was in college, I actually really enjoyed going to church. And, um, and I think that, and you can say, but I know for you right now, you might not enjoy it in the way that I do. But for me, it was over a period of time. It took, it took some time before I, church became something that I looked forward to. And so, um, uh, and so that, uh, you know, I, so, so basically I, I, I want to I, I provide you the opportunity to possibly find church something that you look forward to that's, that's like joy filling. Is that in any way helpful? Yeah, here's one more thing I would say too, is God has given you ultimate grace in Christ and God wants to give you more grace. And you know, really the church, in terms of the ordinary means of grace, the sacraments, the word of God and prayer, is the primary place where we receive God's grace. So, Oscar? Uh, so, I thought that was really good. I have a five-year-old now, which means, at least in my mind, have a little more control of the situation than maybe parents in here who have a 15 or a 16 or 17-year-old. So, my question is looking down the road, and it maybe it's a case-by-case basis for you as the youth director here at the Advent. Mm-hmm. What, what do you say when you have a child who reaches an age and you say that you, you do exactly what you've done here, and they say, that's fine, I don't agree, I'm not going. Or I don't agree. I still don't want to go. Yeah. You know, I, do you sure. do, you, do you make you know? At what point do you or don't you? Stop? <coughs> you know, my five year old's going to be in the car seat whether he wants to be or not, right? I mean, yeah. Sure. At what sure. point does that become a all right? That's your choice. You're not going. Yeah. Okay. I have a couple of thoughts on that. I think that you make your kid go to school, and obviously that's the law. Um, so if you make your child go to school, then I, I'd say making your child go to church to the point that they're 18 is, is a thing to do. One thing I would say is when your child gets older, I have a parent who the, um, the child was, you know, uh, had lots of, was very skeptical, very skeptical about religion. And so the dad said, look, you don't have to go to our church, all right? You can go to, you can go, you have to do something religious every week. It's your choice. You can go to a, <laughs> I would, I would personally, I would personally start with uh, especially when your child gets to be 17, 18, if they just like hate this congregation, then be like, that's fine. You have to go to church, but you can go to the, the, the church of your choosing. I think that's a good thing to do. Um, and so that way you give them some ownership over it. They may find that, they, they may find that uh, another church is a, a, better, a better fit to help them worship the Lord. <laughs> I think definitely when children, when, uh, you have, if you have a senior in high school, I think that... Um, when you have a senior in high school in the summer, I would say you don't go to church with us. You go to church on your own. You can take a friend, but you need to go look at some other churches besides our church. And, uh, and that kind of gives them some practice, some training wheels practice of making a decision on their own before they're outside your house. Is that, is that helpful, yeah. O-Town? Okay. Any other questions? I think we're about out of time, but anyone going once, going twice? Yes. Yeah, we did this. So we did a series on. Uh, we did like a five-week series on ecclesiology. With um, we didn't call it ecclesiology. That's theology of church. Um, we did not call it that. But and uh, for five weeks in senior high, um, 
yeah, we're we're trying really we're trying really hard to help parents out with this because we know you get a lot of we. I, I mean, I, I mean, I say this: if I was a kid who liked church and I was willing, I was such a punk about it. As a as a you know a high school kid, I can only imagine a kid who doesn't like church how how like ruthless they could be and how nasty they could be to a parent. So, anyhow, I f- I'm feeling your pain. I'll pray for us and we'll go. Uh, Jesus, uh, just thank you that you've given us access to the life of the Trinity and. Um, Thank you that we're included in that life. And I pray you give us wisdom and give us uh, kind hearts, patient hearts with our children. Um, and, you know, help, help us, Lord, to answer that question uh, that Robert asked. It's such a good question about how do we make us not about guilt and obligation, but make it, um, make it something that's, that's gracious and loving. Uh, help us with that. That's, that's something we really, uh, for all of us, we just need a heart that can do that. And so... Uh, ask you for in Jesus' name. Amen.